Good morning. This past year has truly been a journey of faith for your family, for our family, for this faith family. And I believe it's by no accident that God has called us to where we are today and it's graciously allowed us to trust in Him and to follow Him throughout this past year. And as we enter into a new year, and as we enter into a new book, the book of James, my heart is, is that we take an intro from our past year. And normally, what we would do is we'd look at James and we'd give you a historical background. We'd tell you who the author is, tell you all about the author. And that's more the traditional view on that. But this morning, if you'll walk with me, if we'll turn back the page, and I want to look at 2014, and I want to look at it as entitled The Year of Faith. And if you weren't here throughout the whole 2014 with us, it's okay, I promise. It's okay. It's such a beautiful story that, that God, is, where He has taken us as His people and as His church and His faith family. And so, let's look at His grace story starting in 2014. And don't be afraid. I'm pretty sure I can cover this in two hours. It won't be bad. But just before we get started, I want to flip back one more page. 2013, September, we launched what we call the Oaks Church. And we stepped out in faith as a group of pastors and said, God, where do you want us to be? Where do you want to take us? We don't want to be just another church in the community. We want to be a people. We want to be a group that effectively spreads the gospel in our lives. We want to be a group of people that affects the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we don't have an agenda to be better than the next. We don't have an agenda to grow the church to some great significant number. But that we have a passion to instill into people the desire to be disciples of Christ. And so we launched in 2013. Fast forward into January. In this time frame, we're really battling and wrestling through what does it look like? What is the vision of the church? What is the ministry of the church? here at the Oaks, the faith family here at the Oaks. And so, to start off January, Casey and Joe talked through a series called Complete the Circle. If you don't know what that means, we're going to recap it real quick. It was called this because we believe that we wanted you as members to have faith to step out with us into this community to complete the circle. And what does that mean? There's four C's that you can remember. We believe that God created you for a reason, that you're beautiful, that you're wanted. And then we believe that we were that we were cursed, that there was a fall, that we were corrupted. And that with that corruption came a cure. And that cure is Jesus Christ. And because of that cure, we are compelled as believers, we're compelled as believers to love those around us, to serve them with the gospel. So we believe we are commissioned. So we start this journey and we ask you to step out with us to, to, affect, to minister the gospel to every man, every woman, and every child. That no one would miss the grace of God. That you would be a part of everything that God wants to accomplish in this community. And then we move into March 2014 and we launch our vision series. And this is our vision. It says this. This is the overall. This is the mountaintop when you look at the vision of the church that we believe that 
this is the goal that we want to be, and we also believe that every church can be there. And it says that to serve all people we engage with authentic relationships compelled by the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. We believe that is a blanket statement for the church. Now, how do we accomplish it? We accomplish it through our mission. And this is our mission, to cultivate relationships that produce stories of grace in every day. That's how we accomplish the all, is that when we focus in on a group of people within our circle of influence, but when we learn to complete that circle, when we focus in on those people and we, got, and we minister the gospel of truth to them, that will multiply. So we don't have to stretch ourselves so thin that we can't accomplish this goal that says, well, or our vision is to, to reach all. I don't think anybody can do that. But I think together, that if we focus in on our group, that we disciple those around us, that we can accomplish it. And so that's our overall goal. That's our mountaintop view, is that we start with a mission that can complete our vision. So that's where we were in March. And so our desire was this, is to be the, manifesta the manifestation of Jesus Christ to the world submerged in darkness. That's what we want to be. We want to manifest Jesus Christ. We want to be the light. And in the midst of this series, tragedy comes with the death of Maisie Ray Belgard. And with tragedy and with death comes a response. And the only response that we can muster is faith in God's sovereignty. And that somewhere and somehow that there is good. There is good. All that God and Hoda, and how did we see that the next Sunday at the gathering? As we gathered together and we looked at Ephesians, I'm sorry, Philippians 4, and it says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, but the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And immediately we saw a man and a woman resting in that peace. Resting in that peace. Not knowing why they showed up the next Sunday at the gathering, but knowing that they were compelled to be people of God. Knowing that they wanted to be surrounded by the love of this faith family. Of God. We saw a faith family step out in faith, not knowing how to serve them, not trying to come up with the right words to say, just loving them. And then on March 30th, 2014, amazing service, we saw a father stand in the midst of hundreds and speak these words by faith by the power of of the Holy Spirit. He said this, I don't care if it was cancer or criticism, slander or sickness, suffering is not meaningless. It's doing something deep. It is not meaningless. Of course, we can see what it is doing. We do not look to what is seen, but to what is hoped for glory 
a day when all saints will unify. Disciples of Jesus Christ will sit and rest in the radiant glory. It's doing something. When your parents divorce, your brother dies, your grandma dies, your sister dies, and your son makes a decision that lands him in prison, it is not meaningless. When you've been a strong athlete all your life, and then overnight you're battling with terminal cancer, it is not meaningless. When your spouse is unfaithful, you lost a job with a wife and three kids, got bills to pay, and you sit by your husband as he takes his last breath. It is not meaningless. When your child runs into your arms for the first time, and when you don't get to hold them, they never made it here. It is not meaningless. Suffering is not meaningless. What an amazing response to a life of obedience and faith in Jesus Christ. And we ask ourselves, how do we have this kind of faith? It's so simple. We walk with Him. And when we learn to walk with Him, we learn to walk through the suffering and the pain. It's not going to be easy. We're not saying that. We're not selling you a bill of goods. Look what the Word says. Romans 8, 16 says this. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and as children of God are heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to compare the glory that is to be revealed to us. Wow. Wow, if we knew the life of Paul, if we walked the life Paul walked, and for him to say at the end of this, for I consider the suffering of this present time not worthy to be compared glory. A man that lived by faith. And then Paul goes on to say this. In Philippians 1.29 says, For you it has been granted for Christ's sake. This means it's been gifted to you. This is a gift. Not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer with Him. This is your gift. This is how you bring glory to the Father. Experiencing the same conflict that you saw in me and now here me. And then Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.8 and he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us to the holy calling according to our works, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is granted us in Christ Jesus in all eternity. And then in Acts, Chapter 5, 41, it says this. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. You have been considered worthy to walk with him. Walk with him. And in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, he will be glorified. He will be lifted high. And then in April 2014, just a few weeks later, we celebrate the death 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The very foundation of our faith. Without the resurrection, we know there is no victory at all. And so we celebrated that Sunday morning as Casey taught, death defeated. He stood before us and praised God that we have victory found in the cross. And then a few weeks later, moving into May, we open up the book of Galatians and we talk about gospel-rooted living. What does that look like? What does that mean? And I think Paul here, he pens a letter to the Galatians. He says this to the believers. The only life that we can live is a life rooted in the gospel. This is the only life we can live. If our life is rooted in anything else, there, there is no life. And so Paul pens this in such a beautiful scripture. I think it's the, the perfect picture and probably one of the most beautiful pictures in all of scripture of the gospel living within us. And he says this in Galatians 2.20. For I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And oh, oh, how easy it is for us to quote that text. So easy. It's not I that live. How hard is it to live? How hard is it to trust in his faith? power of the Holy Spirit in you as a believer will meet all your needs. And then he goes on in verse 21. It's not the end. Sometimes we stop in verse 20. And we're like, yeah, Christ says it's me. But look what he says here in 21. He says, I do not nullify or I do not invalidate the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died Needlessly. Paul lived for a gospel that was real and alive. And there was absolutely no chance that it was fake. Often when I was growing up, I used to hear the stories of, you know, let me tell you how to witness to your friends. You know, give them this big example of how they can live life. And at the end of it, if they die, they go to hell. But if they live the Christian life in the end of it, and there is no heaven or hell, then they've lost nothing. That's so not true. You think Paul walked a life where he was beaten and almost killed for a gospel that wasn't real? That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that it's not it's not like there's there's some chance that if you die that nothing will happen. He's saying live a life that glorifies God because he lives in you as a believer. Paul didn't put himself in situations where he would be killed for no reason, for a hope that he might experience God forever, but that he had faith that he knew he would experience the gospel in its fullness and in eternity. So we must live that life rooted in the gospel. We must live a life that there is absolutely no chance this gospel is not real. And when we learn to wrap our minds around that, the Spirit of God in us will take the places we never knew. And so you are all sons and daughters, and I love how he wraps up this, this thought in Galatians, the book of Galatians. He wraps it up and he says, you're sons and daughters of the king. You have been adopted into the kingdom that will not perish. And what does this mean? That you have been set free. You have been set free. 
Galatians 5, it says this, The freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Do not weight down yourself with all these legalistic views of what the church should look like, but be in step with the Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit, and allow Him to move you, and you will experience freedom. You'll experience freedom. Keep in step with the Spirit. And so I wrote this down about gospel-rooted living. And I wrote this. It says, Gospel-rooted living can only come by faith in Jesus Christ, that He completed the work on the cross once and for all, so that He could complete the work in us to bring glory to the Father. That is gospel-rooted living. Trust in the Spirit of God. Trust that He will lead you, He will protect you, He will guide you, He will strengthen you. So that you would complete the work and bring glory to the Father. And then we had the privilege to move on into Hebrews at the uh, beginning of October and throughout November. And we get to sit in this book in chapter 11 and listen to the men of faith, the men and women of faith that walked before us and to hear these stories. And so now we've taken this gospel rooted living and now we want to apply it. See, these were men and women that applied their faith. They stepped out in faith. They obeyed God. They didn't just hear it and agree with it and say, that's nice. But they obeyed. And so we observe this. And in chapter 11, we see that by faith, Abel offered up to God a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go. Wow. By faith, Abraham and Tessah offered up life. And by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures sin. you hear that? Choosing to be mistreated with the people of God and enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And it goes on to say in verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all of Egypt for he was looking for the reward of God. That is faith. That is a faith that we can stand firm in. That we can look back and say that these men and women pursued Christ with everything they had, with no reserve. Yes, God, I will obey you. Even when you tell me to sacrifice my own son, even when you tell me to build a boat with no rain, even when the world unfolds all of its glorious riches. And offers everything you can imagine. And you say, No, I'd rather suffer the people of God so that you would do it. Faith. And then we had the privilege of moving into December this year to sit in the Advent season. And we were reminded of the hope, the peace, and joy, and love that only comes from the true King of Kings our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
And as we ended that series, as we celebrated the birth of Christ, the next Sunday, we had the privilege to hear from Joe Arsenault, inspired by the Holy Spirit, with a message called Living with Eternity in Mind. We can just stop there. I mean, wow, what a title. We really evaluate that title, really look at our lives and say, do we live with eternity in mind? Do we live with our perspective in mind? Do we live with our comforts in mind? Do we live with what feels good to me in mind? Or do we pursue every relationship with eternity in mind, every decision with eternity in mind, with our marriage with eternity in mind, the way we raise our children with eternity in mind? What a beautiful and the only way that that is possible, the only way that we can do that is that we have faith in the one who freed us from the sin that entangled us. The only way. And then the next Sunday, Casey preached on devoted followers of Christ. And once again, I mean, <laughs> didn't pretty much get there too. We just said that the word devoted and we really looked at what that meant. We broke that down and we looked at our lives and said, we devoted, we devoted followers of Christ. Are we churchgoers or we devoted followers of Christ? Are we event followers or we devoted followers of Christ? My heart and the heart of this church and the heart of your pastors is that you become devoted followers of Christ. That you live like they live in the book of Acts, chapter 242, where they devoted themselves to each other through prayer, fellowship, breaking bread. They love each other through the Word. Those are the important things. And I love the next the next verse, and it says that they had all things in common. It doesn't mean they all played basketball. You know, it doesn't mean they all hunted. It doesn't mean they all fished. They all wear the same clothes. It meant that they had the common thread of the gospel running through their veins. When they looked at you, when they looked at the world, they want to give you Jesus Christ in whatever way, in whatever shape possible. And so they want to meet the needs of the believers that are struggling, the believers that need encouragement, the believers that need help. And so the common thread was that. And so they met the needs of those around them. And so our heart is that we could be devoted followers of Christ, that we could rest in that path. We can have that common thread that unites us, compels us to serve one another for the sake of the gospel. And so saying all that, it brings us into James. I know it's a long intro, but I think it was so appropriate that when we look back at the calendar and we look at where God has taken us, we look at these events where faith, where our faith was challenged, where our faith was tested. And that we take a step back and we move through the book of James and we examine it. We examine our faith. There is nothing more important in life than your faith. And you do not want to have a counterfeit faith. You do not want to have a counterfeit faith. And so examine, it means this, to inspect, to uh, scrutinize, to observe, to study, to survey, to scan, to look, to test. This is what we want to do. We talk about this in our home groups, Joe and I, is that there's often times in our life where we need to step back, we need to evaluate our life, we need to look at our motives, we need to examine why 
are we following Christ? Why do we do what we do? If you don't do that, I encourage you, please do that. Because we are selfish people. And sin is real. And it runs deep. You heard the song, it runs deep. So we have to constantly step back and remind and examine ourselves. Say, are we doing this for us? We're doing this for the glory of God. And this is what James wants to say. This is what James is writing in hope that we would examine our faith and that it would be real and that it would not be counterfeit. And to this, John MacArthur writes this. He says, this, uh, that is also true of the most valuable commodity of all, saving faith, a right relationship to the living, holy God of the universe with the promise of eternal heavenly is uncomparably priceless. Those who think they have it should carefully examine and test it to determine its validity. To be deceived by counterfeit money or counterfeit work of art results only in temporal loss. To be deceived by counterfeit faith results in eternity tragedy, eternal death. And this is our challenge. This is where we want to be. This is where the book of James steps in and unfolds to us the reality of faith. And so as we move through the next 16 weeks or so, I'll teach through eight, Joe will teach through eight, but as we move through these next week, this is what this is what the book of James wants us to examine. And so as the band comes back up, I'm going to read these things to you. And I want you, this is the response. This is what I want you to do. I want you to think through these next words. I want you to think through what I read and evaluate your faith right now. Say, God, what are my motives? What does my faith look like in these circumstances? And I want you to pray through that. I want you to really ask God to convict you, to stir in you, so that your faith becomes genuine, that your faith is real, that your faith is not just a moment in time, not just a, a, the next spiritual movement or the next emotional event, but that it is an everyday reality that you walk every day in faith. And this is what the book of James says. It says, examine our faith in suffering. Examine our faith in temptation. Examine our faith in our response to the Word. Examine our faith in love. Examine our faith in work. What is the reality of our work? What is the reality of our love? Examine our faith in tongue and speech. What does that look like? How do we speak? Examine our faith in humble wisdom. Is it pride or is it humble? Examine our faith in worldly indulgence. Examine our faith in dependence. Who are we dependent on? Examine our faith in patient endurance. Examine our faith in truthfulness. Examine our faith in prayer. What's our prayer life look like? Is it selfish? Or is it communion with God? Examine our faith. And, prayer. and last, 
Examine our faith that it may be true, and that it may be real, and that it may be lived out every day. Bring glory to God. Let me pray.